Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson from the ministry staff at Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The following was recorded on Sunday, January 8, 2023. Today's message title, Fan into Flames, The Gift God Has Given You, from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Father, I praise you for everything that you've done. I praise you for the fact that you've allowed us access to you because of Jesus Christ. How Overwhelming to think that we don't need anybody else other than Jesus Christ. Even though we look back and we see a lot of sin and we see a lot of mistakes, we see your grace, that you've clothed us in the righteousness of Christ and that you've taken uh, the letter of dead that stood against us, as Colossians 2 says, and you've nailed it to the cross. What an awesome, awesome reality to celebrate every Sunday. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, what you have to say, what you have to teach, what you have to show us so that we can grow in our understanding of you, but also, Father, grow in our ability to run after you with everything that we have. Would you show us how and what it looks like for us to glorify you and continue to worship you in our workplaces, among our family and friends? Would you show us the opportunities that you've laid out for us to do? As we remember that you've prepared good, good things for us to do beforehand, may we lay hands on them and be participant in the work that you're doing here among us in our church, but also here in Iceland and around the world. Father, I praise you for everything that you've done and continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's jump into the word. We're going to be jumping into 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 7 today. All right, so... Let me, let me start out by asking an honest question of us. And this is an actual question. This is not just a rhetorical question. So if you dare to answer, uh, feel free to raise your hands. Have you ever felt in your spiritual walk with Christ that you uh, have lost fire, passion for, for serving God? All right. And everybody else in the room, just like look around and judge us. The five of us who dared raise our, I, I think most Christians have at one point or another faced this kind of, uh, the Puritans called it what? Um, desert of the soul. No, uh, dark, uh, dark night of the soul, right? Some of us have, have tried to serve God and then just grown weary. And uh, for, I've, I've even wondered why. why. Why was it so easy at one point to, serve God. And now, you know, as you just look for consistency, it's become this labor instead of a joy. And I've found myself at that point. And actually like when I dwell on this sermon, I've just benefited a lot from dwelling on this text. Um, Even if you'd like to do more, you look around what your life is like right now. And maybe you realize that you can't add anything to what you're doing. Maybe You've switched gears from even trying to do something more and just trying to survive today or tomorrow or next week. Or maybe you're just tired. Maybe it's because you struggle with fear. Maybe you struggle with doubt. Maybe you struggle with insecurity. Well, 
one thing I love about the Bible is the brutal honesty we see there. I don't know if you've heard this argument. Many people will say, oh, the Christianity is a made up religion. If so, they've done a horrible job of giving us this clean picture of all the apostles and so on and so forth. There are struggles in there. There are fears in there. There are doubts in there. And I love the honesty of the scriptures when it comes to that. I think, and, and, and I, I want us just to stand up as we read uh, these few verses in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Uh, and what we're going to be talking about today is fanning into flame the gift that God has given you. And here it says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Eunice? How do you say that? Eunice. I want to say Eunice. (laughs) Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Then he continues on. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Amen. You may be seated. So here we are. Now I want us to imagine, remember it's, it's easy when we start reading our Bibles to think of this as mere stories about something that a fictitious story that someone made up. But imagine this, here you are, you're Timothy. We have glimpses into what his life was like uh, in certain places in the scripture. For instance, there are two letters to Timothy in the Bible. In the first letter in chapter four and verse 12, we get this glimpse into Timothy being a young man, perhaps struggling in ministry because people were looking down on him for being too young to be a serious minister. I've, I've had that happen to me, believe it or not. And, and remember, this is biblical times young, right? This is 2000 years ago young. Uh, we might expect a 30, 40 year old to be a young buck today, still playing PlayStation games and you know all this type of stuff. Uh, but that was not so 2000 years ago. 2000 years ago, being young was like late teens, early 20s, probably. I, I f- I'm fearful of going further down than late teens because basically you were considered a, an adult to, to take on responsibilities at 15. So whenever you think about, um, think about the disciples of Christ, right? They were young guys, right? Who, who in here watches The Chosen? Who's, who's waiting for the live stream this evening? Uh, that's probably incorrect about how old they were, right? It's, they were young guys. And here, if they're kind of looking down on Timothy for being too young, we're, we're looking at a very young guy. And there you are. You're in this city called Ephesus, a, a kind of a big city in the Roman Empire, bustling with commerce, one of the wealthiest cities, and bustling with idolatry. This is where in the book of Acts, everything goes to haywire and they start yelling out, Artemis, no, uh, if, what, what do they say? Ephesus of Artemis? Ar- yeah, greatest Artemis. See, we need to pray for Elliot. He, he knows too much about Artemis here. No, it's greatest, you know, he knows about the Bible. <laughs> greatest Artemis of the Ephesians, right? This is where the temple of Artemis is. There's a lot of idolatry going down in the city of Ephesus. And here you are, let's think early 20s, you're dumped, dumped into this city. And what you're supposed to do is gather up the believers and followers of Jesus. You're supposed to lead a church and you're supposed to establish it and find other pastors 
to take care of it, then you can move on to somewhere else. What he has at his disposal is, well, he has his praying family of faith, wherever he came from. He has the Holy Spirit to lead him and empower him. Probably some limited access to the Old Testament scriptures, right? And then he gets letters probably every few weeks or every few months from his mentor that just so happens to be Paul the Apostle, right? That's it's kind of a great letter, probably worth waiting for. So since this letter is named 2 Timothy, I think what we are tempted to do is to focus on Timothy. But I want to first highlight verses three to five that we just read, where Paul, interestingly enough, starts by praising God and really not highlighting Timothy at all, but rather the legacy that has led up to this moment in Timothy's life. The, the prayer offered in silence, seen only by God, the faithfulness of previous generations, the investments in Timothy's life by others that has led to this point. And you know, all of us in here, we don't just accidentally end up here in Iceland from all these different places around the world. Have you thought about what it took for you to be here in Iceland, worshiping the God of Israel? How strange that is, right? Uh, we're not here by accident. We, we stand on the shoulders of people who came before us who just loved and followed Jesus. We stand on previous generations of faithful Christians who came before us, whose names we don't know, whose faces we've never seen. And a, and a part of their eternal legacy is this room right here, the fruit of their labor still giving off fruit. And, and what I find interesting is that people who probably lived with them Maybe they were a pastor or maybe they were a member of the church. They probably didn't think that the biggest part, the biggest impact of their life would be that ministry of just being a part of the local church. They probably saw someone who was mainly a business person, mainly a scientist, mainly a teacher, mainly a this or that, and defined them and their impact on this world by their professions. And yet the biggest legacy of all of these people who we, we have not met is not what they used to do as their profession. It's this fruit right here. Think about the fruit that come, comes from various countries in Africa, from Poland, from Iceland, from Venezuela, from South America. Like it's, it's from all over. And we are standing on the shoulders of generations that came before them. This is, this is a legacy that continues on for eternity. It's not just fruit here. It's fruit that they will see forever as we are in the new heavens and the new earth worshiping together for all of eternity. And you might say, man, I think the biggest thing, the biggest part of my life is my profession. Your profession will end. It ends with me. It ends with you. But what we do that impacts eternity will last for eternity. It's an eternal legacy. So let's start our first point today, thinking about this legacy that he's talking about. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. So he starts praising God and how he's used people in his own life, which I find very interesting because you know how Paul the apostle comes to faith. It's not necessarily through someone evangelizing, more like Jesus just dropping down and saying, hey, you, yeah, you're going to follow me now. <laughs> but he's, he's even realizing even that's how he came to faith. His ancestors, laid the foundation. He was a God-fearing man, faithful people who may have ha have the reach that like people, people who came before Paul who may not have ever had the reach or the impact of Paul, but still they share in the fruits of the ministry of Paul because of the faithfulness and the examples that they have 
led that given to him through their own life. But then the legacy chain doesn't stop with Paul. Later in, in verse three, he says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. You see in first Timothy, uh, the, the first letter to Timothy in chapter one and verse two, he talks about Timothy being his son in the faith. Oops, I forgot a couple of slides. His son in the faith. And if you know anything about Paul, the apostle, he makes a whole case about, hey, I would prefer if all Christians were like me, single guy, right? So he, he's not married. He doesn't have kids, but he talks about Timothy being his sort of spiritual child. So what he's thinking about there is not just thankful for what his ancestors have done and how God has used them and how God has saved him, but thinking, okay, what am I supposed to do now? And he's looking at Timothy saying, you're going to be, you're going to be my offspring. You're going to be the continuance of this chain of legacy that's going to continue on. So the leg- legacy chain continues as, as Paul not only remembers his ancestors who were faithful to God, but now he's going to be faithful to God by teaching Timothy and letting the legacy continue. And in second Timothy chapter two, verse two, I, I like this reference. Usually I'm really bad with remembering where places are in the scripture. I can, I can like sort of quote, quote enough to, to be able to Google a verse sometimes in desperate need. But second Timothy two, two, pretty easy. Two, 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 two. Yeah. Uh, here, here he's saying to Timothy, not only that, Hey, I want to train you up. Hey, you go out and you train up others. And it says here, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul also knows that he's not the only impact on Timothy's life. And in verse five, he talks about the legacy of his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, how do you say it? Eunice. I just always want to go say it. Eunice. Eunice. Uh, Eunice. He talks about the impact that they've left on his life. So as, as we dwell on legacy, I, I want to ask the question, what is the recipe for a godly legacy? And I want to ask us, what, what kind of legacy are we really leaving? Do we think the legacy that I leave is mainly up to what I do professionally or, uh, or whatever else, the things I invent, the things I leave here on earth? Is that what I'm thinking about when I think legacy or is it godly legacy? Well, one thing that we notice in the text is that this deep impact on Timothy's life is given by proximity and care. Um, you know, I, I have this idea that we've kind of entered a, a messy time in the modern church. Does anybody notice that? <laughs> there's, there's unfortunately a lot of scandals and just wrong things happening everywhere. And I think it's, I, I don't want to take the blame away just from the church not doing its job and clinging to the scriptures. But I, I think part of the problem is social media, right? We've got amazing people with amazing charisma. We've got gifted speakers, incredibly gifted speakers. We've got people with amazing skills who get elevated to the levels of prominence really quickly if someone really notices them and starts sharing. And so one thing I noticed within Christian circles, for instance, is that sometimes I struggle finding books about ministry that will be helpful for me written by pastors who don't have mega churches and have just simply faithfully served their church for 40 or 50 years. You kind of have to dig for that gold because most of the books out there for a pastor like me 
It's like written by a guy who's running a church of 10,000 people. And I'm like, well, not exactly my context context here. <laughs> like I was trying to glean some wisdom from that, but notice that they're like, they tend to be highlighted these guys with massive followings. And I'm like, man, I can't really relate to this at all. You know, like stories. I remember, I remember being so discouraged when we started the church because all I heard were these superhero stories. You know, this one guy said, like, yeah, you know what? I just started reading my Bible out loud in my living room. And then I looked up and there were like 300 people there. And I was like, whoa, I guess we're going to start a church, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, that's not how it works for most people, right? But you notice this and you ask yourself, why, why, why are there no, like, why don't I get these books from the obscure faithful pastor who's just done a really good job of leading and loving his people for 40 years? Well, it's probably because they don't have a massive, following on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter or YouTube or wherever else. And we live in a day and age with the illusion of proximity around us on social media. Like, but the reality is that social media isn't social at all. In fact, that we're the most connected generation and yet we're the loneliest generation that's ever walked on this planet. How can those two things exist at the same time? You can follow amazing Preachers and teachers with amazing skill sets, incredible talent in communicating. I benefit from them very often. Where it just seems like, man, when God was creating this one guy, he just dropped the bucket of charisma and wisdom. And I'm like, man, God, could I get some more of that? <laughs> we may be tempted to think when I see that, that those are the people. Man, if anybody's going to leave an eternal legacy or godly legacy, that's going to be that guy, that preacher, that teacher that influencer or whatever else, they're going to leave the impact on this world. They're going to leave the impact for the church in the future. But notice that Paul, when he's talking about the legacy leading up to Timothy's life, he names a bunch of faithful ancestors in his own life, mentions no names. And when measuring the impact on Timothy's life, he doesn't talk about a famous rabbi. He talks about his mom and grandma. Those were the people who left impact on Timothy's life because of proximity and care. You know, I find it really funny that we literally have a job description today that says I'm an influencer. (laughs) If I was an influencer, I would cringe every time I said that. What do you do? I'm an influencer. (laughs) That just seems so silly. I've got a a family member who literally works as an Icelandic influencer. And it's really just a stunning reality to me because the reality is we're all influencers. And that didn't used to be a job description. (laughs) That just used to be a reality for a living human being. You are an influencer. And you might think that, man, that person with that social media following, that's going to be the influencer. But let me tell you this. No one is going to influence your kids more than you. No one's going to influence some of your family members more than you. No one's going to influence your closest friends, some of them, more than you. Every one of us has a stage in life and we might, we might fall into the trap to think, man, if I don't have a physical microphone in front of my face, I'm not standing on a stage. No, there are people around you We're not only listening to what you have to say, they're watching what you're doing. Does it impact his or her life at all? There's no one who has as much impact and influence as you to some people. Because real impact, real influence, real legacy 
is given by proximity and care. It doesn't take a whole lot, or I guess it, I, I can rephrase that. It takes a lot to be a charismatic and skillful teacher, right? But that skill can be way beyond where your character is at. And so, so you, you might even be the, the child of that skillful preacher or teacher, and you might look at what he's saying and you're like, wow, that's great. But what I see on Wednesday is not great. Now, there was a godly mom who used to attend our church. They kind of went and started a, a home church, <clears throat> these two couples, and I, I really miss them. But um, I once went to their home after they had sort of a health scare. Uh, and, and they thought um, a heart attack was happening. Or what do you call it? Uh, no, yeah, aneurysm. Or it was either a heart attack or an aneurysm. I don't know the details, but it was scary. And their daughter was there and they were praying and they posted on the fellowship chat, everybody pray, like something's happening and ambulance is on its way. And when they were in that circumstance, they both looked at each other and both looked at the child and said, we need to pray. We need to pray for, for whatever is happening right now. And after I arrived and got to talk with them, it was amazing to hear that, yes, it was a scary thing to, to go through, but one good thing that came out of it is the power of God through prayer, just even with the peace that arrived. That to know in the midst of this chaos, I don't know anything that's happening. This is all out of my control, but God is here. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and the mom said something along this lines, my kid has heard me talk about prayer. My kid has heard me talk about the power of God, but at least in this circumstance, they got to experience, this is not just some, something we talk about. This is something that we believe in that you can get. The idea she left in my mind is this, my kids don't just need to know of God. They don't just need to know more about God. They need to see him at work. They need to see our reliance upon him to experience his power. And let me tell you, that child can go on to listen to a thousand sermons this year. But I think seeing their parents and how they responded this, that time is not going to impact them as much as just being there with their parents in the midst of that circumstance. And here, Paul talks about legacy, but legacy left through proximity and care from him, from his family mem members who follow Jesus. You see a lot of people, I think, have this idea that man, if what I, what I need to do, I had this idea for the longest time as a parent, man, we need a good kids ministry. We need a good youth ministry. We need a good young adults ministry. Like basically every four year period, we need a, a new ministry because what I want to do is basically come by most weeks and drop my kid off and have them discipled. And then I was reading the scriptures specifically in Deuteronomy. And, and then I realized, man, discipleship is, is, this is me. This is, these are souls under under my care that I'm going to be responsible for. And I will stand before God answering how I use my time, how I use my influence on their life. Was it for their upbuilding? Was it for their good? Or was it something else? And a lot of people have this idea, man, if I just drop off my kids uh, most weeks, then they're going to be discipled. But let me tell you this. When Paul talks about the impact on Timothy's life, he doesn't talk about the amazing kids ministry director, right? I'm sure they have one of those in the synagogues. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he mentions mom and grandma again. Like I'm certain, you're certain. Well, I can't say I'm certain to a certain extent, <laughs> but I am. I don't think I'll realize the impact of my grandmother's life until I get to heaven. 
never had the spotlight, never had a microphone, really. She was just there, the widow, praying for decades for her family, with churches, for revival. And I'm sure that we will never really see the fruit of her faithfulness until I see her in heaven. And that had an impact on me. Like she would literally watch a wall with her extended family, which was up to like 90 people or something. But by the time her kids had had kids and they had kids and so on and so forth, and she would just stare at this wall and pray. And yes, we, we hope in our, in our church that our kids ministry and youth ministry supplement uh, and help in the discipleship of the children and young people of this church, this church. But we fully realize that the Bible tells me that my kids are my responsibility. And yes, there's nothing wrong with seeking help from various ministries to help me with my, my task. But ultimately, no one will impact their life like I will, be it good or bad. So we see proximity and care impact Timothy. We see intentionality on his mom's and grandma's part. And we see Paul's part as he spent years with Timothy. If you, if you read through, if you take the, the Bible reading plan and you read through the New Testament, you'll see Timothy appear everywhere where Paul is writing letters. He, his name appears in 2 Corinthians and Philippians and Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Philemon. Timothy is like, oh, by the way, Timothy sends his regards. <laughs> It was like Timothy was just looking for opportunity to be a part of the scriptures. Uh, And we see faithful consistency in all of that. There we see again, not only proximity and care from his mom and grandma, but also from Paul's part, we see faithful consistency from both of their part that leads to godly legacy. But then one thing I want to highlight in our verses today, oops, I totally forgot to do all this, um, is we see difficulty. It seems that Timothy is going through a difficult time in a ministry in Ephesus. Perhaps he's just lonely. Again, he's a young guy, just kind of dropped off at this metropolis. Uh, right? Am I saying it, saying it right? Yeah. <laughs> I've watched too many cartoons with my kids. Uh, metropolis, Ephesus, he's there. Uh, perhaps he's lonely, perhaps due to people not taking him seriously for being too young, perhaps simply feeling burnt out and tired. And in verse four, we see Paul mentions the tears of Timothy. We don't know if this is something that, that, Paul, that Timothy has been writing Paul about, how he's crying too much because he's experiencing this pain or loss, or maybe Paul is remembering the time that they said goodbye and they had to depart in tears, or maybe they've gone through something together and he's remembering the tears of Timothy in that way. However way you slice it, it's probably been difficult. <laughs> be it saying goodbye, be it being in the city, be it suffering with Paul, there's been difficulty in ministry. And if you go into ministry thinking, man, Matt, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to be so blessed and everything. It's going to be so easy, easy going, so on and so forth. Well, just think they, they crucified Jesus, right? <laughs> they crucified him in his ministry. He actually promised us, man, if you're going to follow me, they were going to hate you like they hate me. The fact that he's sending this letter suggests that he needs encouragement. Right? He's, he says, fan into flame, this gift that God has given you to use in his ministry, reminding him that the spirit of God, what does he say? doesn't give fear. So it may be that Timothy is walking through a lot of fear. I, I understand being young, if you take your eyes off of God in a huge city, like I'm supposed to leave an impact here. <laughs> like really God? Reminding him, spirit of God doesn't give fear. 
It gives love. And reminding him not to be anxious. Suggesting Timothy is experiencing maybe being exhausted or fearful, perhaps doubting his effectiveness in ministry. And I only want to say uh, four things really quickly about the difficulty that he faces because I want to spend, spend more, more of our time uh, on, on, on the last point. So number one, I want to say about difficulty in the Christian walk, expect it. Expect difficulty in the Christian walk. James 1, 2, I love how he phrases it. Not only is it weird that he says, consider it all joy when you face uh, various trials of, of various kinds. Um, but I find it interesting that he says, when you face various trials of, you know, so he's, he's knowing that the trials are coming. So as we think about the difficulty Timothy faced, and, you, and remember all of us have a ministry to serve in, all of us have gifts of the spirit for us to, to, uh, to use for the benefit of others, to the glory of God. We're gonna dwell a little bit on that. But number one, expect difficulty in this life. It's a broken world. And if you decide to follow Jesus, the enemy of God will hate that. Uh, number two, decide before difficulty arrives, how are you going to respond to it and what you believe about God? As you face difficult circumstances, don't be then trying to figure out the theology of, wait, this hurts a lot. Why would God allow bad things to happen to me? Think about, man, is, is my view, as we were singing earlier about the goodness of God, is my view about the goodness of God dependent upon how much he blesses me at a certain time? Is it dependent on how much I experience his happiness or bleeding pleasure? Is that, am I going to sing that song when I feel good? Or is that song still going to be true when I go through a week that's been the most difficult week of my life? Will I know then, even when I don't feel it, that God is good? Will I know that beforehand? Uh, I, I worked at a security company some time ago. And one of the things that they told us to do is like, hey, if you're, if you're getting robbed, you need to figure out, run through circumstances in your head, right? A robber comes up with a dirty needle threatening to stab you. How are you going to respond to that? Or a robber comes up with a hammer threatening to crush your skull. How are you going to respond to that? Because they said, and the trainer said this, because I promise you, if you start thinking in that moment, what you're going to do or what you're going to say, you're going to freeze. Your brain is going to go blank. and it, and so when, when we think about difficulty, number one, expected, decide beforehand, man, what am I going to do? Is my praise for God dependent upon the circumstances that I walk through, or am I going to remember at that moment, man, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He deserved my worship last week. Does he still deserve it today? Of course he does, right? Think about these things before difficulty arrives, not when it arrives and how Am I going to respond to it? What do I believe about the goodness of God? Uh, the third point is this, seek to grow in it. Like one of the ways that muscles grow is by pain and, and tears, right? That's how muscles grow. It sounds like faith grows in similar way. In 1 Peter 1.7, uh, Peter mentions that faith is tested by fire. I don't know what you get in your mind when you hear that. It doesn't sound very pleasing or nice. <laughs> to me, it sounds like a painful process. And then the last thing I want to say about difficulty is this, when you experience difficulty, and I say when, because think about James 1, 2, push towards God and godly counsel in it. Will I run to God? My only true comfort in that moment, or will I run away from him? And be careful 
because running away from God may not seem so obvious. It may just seem like I'm running to other things. No, 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 I'm not running away from God. I'm just running to the other things. I'm running to, uh, I don't know, feelings of ecstasy and, and a drink or in a drug. I'm just entertaining my brains out by just continuing to click. Yes, I am still continuing watching Netflix. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll let this keep going. I've seen people ruin their lives by going to play video games when life gets difficult. Man, I'm just going to sit here in this fantasy for a while. I can ignore everything going on in my life and I can just focus on this mission and I can feel good about myself. Running away from God doesn't seem very obvious a lot of the time. But towards the end of our sermon, I want to dwell on these verses six through seven, fanning to flames, fanning into flame, the gift of God. And notice um, that Paul starts for this reason. So he's, he's pointing Timothy back to the faith that he's seen as, in his mom and grandma. He points him back to Paul's love for him towards his example in the faith to him as well. He points him back to even Paul's faithful ancestors. And he points him back to the fact that he is praising God for Timothy's life, even as he's going through difficulty. He says, for this reason, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you for the laying on of my head. I love this verse. I, I think this is a great instruction for our church and any church really, because what we see here is Timothy probably doubting his ability, his impact to do anything for God. And we have, the church community, if you would, Paul coming in and coming in and saying, God, God is going to use you. God has gifted you in certain ways. And I think this is an amazing example for us. Because anybody in here has really, has anybody in here experienced like, man, God, I know you can do everything. I just don't know if you can use me. Anybody felt that way? Like anybody doubted that God has gifted them anything to do? Doubted that they have any purpose? And if you're in here and that's the truth, I want to let you know that God is true to his promises. You may be able to say one thing today and then not, not do it yet uh, tomorrow, not yesterday, uh, tomorrow. God is true to his word every time. And the, the part of his word that says, man, he's gifted every single person in the body of Christ with gifts for the benefit of other people. And here I love this about Paul. He says, for this reason, fan into flames, for Think about the examples that you have of faith. Think about the, the difficulty that your mom walked through, your grandmother. Think about the difficulty our ancestors walked through that's leading us up to this moment in Timothy's life. And he says, for this reason, fan into flames that gift that God has given you. And I know it's in there. And he's saying, man, you may doubt yourself, but I've seen it. And I know God is true to his word. And how awesome to see that Paul's love uh, uh, to, towards Timothy and faithfulness towards Timothy isn't just simply available when Timothy is having really good days, but also in his struggles with insecurity, fear, or doubts. Fan into flame, he says. If you've ever tried to start a fire yourself with a, without a match or a, a, a lighter, right? And the key word being there, tried to start a fire by yourself, at least in my case, you'll know that, man, how you start a fire, you create friction from, you know, have a little stick going to a wood, maybe a little grass there to start a little, little fire going. Or maybe you used a magnifying glass and you concentrated the heat of the sun on a specific point so that 
um, you can get a fire started. Well, if you've ever tried that, you know that at a certain point, when you see smoke arising, at a certain point, you're going to have to let go of that stick and stop creating friction. It's only going to get you so far. Right? You're going to have to let go of that magnifying glass and you're going to have to do something else. You're going to have to do something very counterintuitive. I thought the person was crazy when I was young and they told me to blow on the fire. I just remember I blow on candles and they go out. And that doesn't make sense. But you see that smoke arising. And I don't know if there's a flame in there, but at least there's heat in there and you need combustible materials to put in. Well, at a certain time, you need to stop the friction. You need to let go of the magnifying glass and you need to blow on the fire so that that little heat or that small flame is lit. And then you've got to feed it more materials to burn and then you'll see the fire starts to grow, starts to become visible, starts to become, well, dangerous. <laughs> Paul's instruction to Timothy is this, you may not see this, but I know it's there. I'm the one who's watched your life. I'm the one who laid my hands on you. I'm the one who knows that God has gifted you for this role. Now is the time to fan into flame the fire. Now is the time. Let go of that stick. Let go of that magnifying glass. Trust God. Blow on that fire. Feed it something to burn. <laughs> Give of yourself. Die to yourself. Give yourself to God and let that fire grow. And then he says, for God, gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He reminds him of the amazing truth when Timothy may doubt his own ability to rise up to a challenge. This is not about you. This is God's gift. This is God's spirit. This is God's power. This is God's strength. Are you weak? Well, there's good news. God is not. It's not up to you. The truth is that Jesus Christ has still died for you in your weakness. He has still paid the penalty to cleanse you of your sins. Yes, even in your doubts and your struggles and because of Jesus, what Jesus has done, he has moved us from being enemies of God to become children of God. And then he allows us to be a part of his unfolding story, which is just mind blowing to me. There is no fear in that. But now through the death and resurrection of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have power. Timothy has power. You have power. Not because of your ability. Not because of how awesome last week was. Now, this is a gift from God. His love for you compels love for others. When you see Jesus laying down his life for us, it compels self-control on our part. Why would I not lay down my life? Adrian, you want to preach? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Love out there. You want to come? <laughs> There's no fear in that. Now you may say, that's great, Bernard, but Timothy, yeah, nice. <laughs> you nice. Yeah, that's her name. You nice. No. You may say, man, that's great. There's no fear in that. But Timothy, Timothy had Paul the apostle as his discipler. Right? Timothy had this incredible Wisdom. Timothy lived near the lifetime of Jesus. We're 2,000 years removed. I'm not there. I don't have an apostle I can call and say, hey, what should I do in these circumstances? I'm stuck on this rock in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. What are we going to do? Let me tell you this. The power of the Holy Spirit is the same power that rose Christ from the dead. is the same power that lives in us. And notice what Paul writes. He's not just saying this to Timothy. 
You might get that assumption by saying, hey, you got this power, uh, this gift by the laying on of my hands. I want to I read you something that Paul says to the entirety of the church in Corinth. If you've read 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, you know that the church of Corinth is not, well, let's just say they wouldn't win the, the best church of the year price that year, right? <laughs> They're doing a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of stuff going on there that's like, really, guys? That's, he's got to send you letters about this? Um, another example of God working through incredible weaknesses of Christians, right? Uh, but in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says this to the church there. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Where's that? In everyone. It's the same God. Again, gift of God to whom? Timothy and Paul and a few others? No, to everyone. Number seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So what is the purpose of these gifts? It is to build up the church. For to one is given uh, through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. And then he continues on in verses nine. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, uh, uh, by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the ability to st- distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions, and notice this, who apportions to each one individually as he will. So he apportions a gift to each and every one in the church as the Holy Spirit likes. So it's under his control. And again, you can't earn this gift. Gift by its very definition, what, what happens to a gift if you try to pay for it? It's not a gift anymore. <laughs> this is something that the God, God gives. So. First, notice that, uh, sorry, first notice that if you're a Christian, Paul promises you the Holy Spirit will give you gifts. And secondly, notice the purpose of those gifts in in the end of verse seven, where he says, for the building up of the common good. So he he says kind of a similar thing in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, two chapters later, when he says in verse 12, so with yourself, since you are, eager for the manifestation of the spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. I don't know about you. We like, I thought a lot about the Holy Spirit growing up and I thought mainly the role of the Holy Spirit was to give me goosebumps during music uh, portion of the church, right? Or, or something like that. But here he says, man, when you want the spirit to manifest, what it's going to lead to is actually people around you are going to be built up. In other words, your gifts and by the way, I, I don't think this list is an exhaustive list of every possible gift that's out there. I think this is a small sample size of gifts to, to the body that God gives. Um, but whatever your gifts may be, be it hospitality, be it service, be it preaching, whatever else, they're not for us to gain from, but to use for others to gain from. And here's why church is important. Here's why community is important all these other weirdos around you, right? They all have different gifts and they can use their gift to build you up. And so not only when you are not here, when you're not in community, are we losing out? You're losing out. When I'm not here, not only are you losing out, I'm losing out because gifts are given to each and every one of us individually for the common good, for the building up of the church. So as we're here to start off this new year, let me challenge you. 
to fan into flame the gift that God has given you to build up others and to give God the glory. But let me give you some practical steps to do that just as we close out. And again, if you want to go into what is a gift, what is a gift of the spirit look like? Um, I tend to agree with a theologian called uh, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology, where he thinks a lot about the gifts of the spirit. And he says, man, any gift that God uses to build up his church, which he says is the purpose of the gifts of the spirit, can be a gift. You may be surprised by this as you look through various lists of gifts of the spirit. You see someone like the gift of hospitality and then the gift of healing or prophecy. For most of us, when we think about gifts of the spirit, right, raising someone from the dead or laying out a table, you don't see them in the same category. But Wayne Grudem says this, man, anything that you have that God will use in the local church to build the other people up, that can be considered a spiritual gift. So first, what you need to do as you think about spiritual gifts, as you go into this new year, you need to identify what your gift is. Right? You know what? You know, it was crazy. I started writing down the points that I wanted to mention and it came out to an acronym part. Like I felt like such a Baptist when I wrote this down. I'm like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting the superpowers. I was, I was trying to find a why. I'm like, man, party would be awesome. And so I was like looking for words, maybe yoke fellow. Uh, that's, that's another word basically for community. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that in there. Don't have a point for the last one, but I like the acronym party. So first you need to identify what your gift is. Before you pan something into uh, smoke, you need to identify what your gift is. Here are some ways you can do that. Number one, Pray for God to reveal to you. This is a crazy idea, right? Who would have thought? Going to God, asking what my gift is? Yes, let's pray for God to reveal to us. Man, what is it that you want me to do in this church, among these people for this person? And it doesn't have to be something that you do that's just gonna benefit benefit everyone. Perhaps it's just one person at a time. Perhaps Pray as you work through the Bible about the various lists that you see there of spiritual gifts, asking God, do I have any of these? Uh, Number two, ask godly people around you what they think God's gift for you is. And if there's anything that you've done or said or are doing or saying already that's building them up in the faith. You might even not realize it that you're actually being used by God to build up other people by what you're doing or saying. Number three, look through the scriptures at the different examples of gifts that are listed. Um, and you may be surprised again, like I mentioned earlier, there's the, the gift of prophecy along the side of the gift of hospitality, for instance. And it hopefully broadens your scope to think, okay, what, what is my gift? And you may say like, I have accounting. Can I use my gift for the building up of the church? Yes. If God uses that for this, that way, is it a spiritual gift? Well, that's the point of spiritual gifts to to build up other people and their walk with God. Um, You can read through chapters where it talks about spiritual gifts, broaden your scope a little bit. First Corinthians 12 to 14. That's great. Don't skip 13. I think we mostly focus on 12 and 14 because it talks a lot about spiritual gifts. And then we skip the whole chapter on love. I think that's there for a reason because Paul is like, talking to the Corinthians who are obsessed with spiritual manifestations and saying, Hey, by the way, there's this one thing that's way more important than you speaking in tongues. Uh, It's love. 
And this thing, love, is going to last for eternity. And his whole case is that, man, one day we won't need anybody to teach or preach about God because we will see him face to face. But you know what still continues? Love. You know, One day we won't need any prophecy because, again, he is there. You know what will be there? Love. So focus on that. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Uh, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Those are very good chapters to think through the lists of spiritual gifts that he has there. Um, and ask yourself, what gift you know you already have? Uh, ask yourself, what gift? Yeah, think. Sorry, sorry, think. I'm like, man, I didn't, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, think about, man, what, what gifts do I already have that I've seen me serve the church with? Um, and be, by the way, do this. Ask someone to confirm it. Don't just say, I'm a leader, even though no one's followed me for like 15 years, but I'm a leader. You know, like, but you'll see that in, in something. Or like you, even if you say, man, what's my point? Ask yourself, well, what, what has God gifted me to do? How can I use that to benefit others? And lastly, fan into flame your gifts. After you identify your gifts, prayerfully cultivate them and persevere in them. It's not simply enough to fan into flame that smoke. You know what happens if you fan that into flame and you don't add any combustible material to that? It dies out. doesn't matter how much you blow, how much friction you create. If there's nothing there to burn, it's going to die out. Cultivate your gifts by using them to serve others. Grow in your ability over the years of blessing and serving others as you dive into the word and dive into prayer, remind yourself of not simply all the things that you have to care for here on earth, the, the, the responsibilities you have at work, within your family, maybe in school and so on, but really think through, man, okay, what do I want my life to be about? Yes, I can certainly you know, work hard and save up a lot of money or do these, all these different ideas, but man, what's going to last? What's going to leave the biggest impact in a godly legacy? And how can I cultivate that faithfully? And lastly, persevere in your gift. Like we mentioned earlier, difficulty is a part of this. <laughs> I think we have romanticized the idea when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And we're like, oh, yes, I'm just picking up my cross. I have a headache today or something like that. No, that, that, that was a crazy picture. No one would have heard that and said, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Let me follow this dude. No one would have hung this as, as decoration in a building. It was a brutal Roman torturing device. And he says, follow me. Pick up that cross. Lay yourself down. Follow me. That's where true life is. It can be difficult, your own fight with the flesh. But let me tell you this. If you decide to start using your gifts to build others up and give God the glory, the devil and his minions will hate you for it. Like I said, difficulty will arrive. As you build, he and his demons will start to ruin. Either he will seek to ruin you, ruin your work, or maybe simply kill your drive or your joy. So I think that the song that we sang earlier, Fix Your Eyes on Jesus, is a great song to meditate on as you go and ask yourself, man, God, what have you equipped me to do? How can I use it to benefit the people around me? And I think, think to yourself, what has happened through 12 guys, 11 guys saying to Jesus, okay, I'm willing to be used by you. We're here today. You may look around and we're 
relatively small church, considering, especially if you like go to South Korea or something like that, where a church is like a million people. It's crazy. Uh, but man, he used 12 guys. Think about what he could use you for and the people in this room for. That requires prayer. And so as we go into this, we need to be fueled by the gospel at all times, the good news of Jesus. And man, when we're using our gifts, it's not to earn the righteousness or love of God. It's because he's already loved us. So that's why we always want to have communion every week. And we want to remember Christ crucified. We want to remember the price of the bloodshed of our savior. As we remember, okay, this is not something to trifle with. This is not something to play with. I need to take this seriously. He purchased my life with his blood. Now may I be used for his glory and for his purposes. To know that, man, even if it means difficulty, I know that's actually where life is found at the feet of Jesus. So if you're in here and you've abandoned your life and you said, I'm going to follow Jesus, and you trust that he alone saves you, that he's washed away your sins, it's not all the things that you do, but rather because of what he's already done that we go and serve him and so and celebrate with us Christ as we remember that he was crucified on our behalf. His blood ran down for us. His body was broken for us so that we could go on serving him. So let's remember him in communion. If you're in here and you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here. I hope that you become a follower of Jesus. There's nothing better in this life that I can offer you than being a follower of Jesus. And if you have any questions, I would love to talk to you about it. But if you are, let's remember Christ in communion. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the gift of the good news of Jesus. Not only the bad news that we need a savior, but that we have a savior in Jesus Christ, that we have a reason to sing, that we have a reason to celebrate, that we have something to remember in communion. Father, I pray that if we are tired in here today, if we're burnt out, if we're exhausted, if we're fearful, if we're doubting, Father, I pray that you would fan into flames the gift that you've equipped us with so that we would benefit the people around us, so that we would build up your church, so that we would glorify Jesus above every other name, Father. I pray that we would be a part of building your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that your will would rain down on us, and I pray that you give us wisdom and guidance on how to be used by you to glorify you and enjoy you, Father. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us, and I pray that you would help us fan into flame the gift that you have given to each and every one of us so that we would benefit others, but also become a threat to darkness. Father, I praise you for everything that you've done. I praise you for your grace. I praise you for Jesus Christ and his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. We thank you that we have a hope and a reason to sing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email 
His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Thank you.